Hey guys, Rachel here. I wanted to give you some background on what this episode is about before it starts. So this was an episode, an, an older episode, that I actually released it on January 5th of this year. Uh, but it was behind a paywall on Substack, so... Um, I think only like maybe one of one or two people had access to it besides myself. So this is not an episode that was ever made to the public. So um, it is it is long. Obviously, this is the longest podcast episode I've ever had, but it's a good one. Um, it is about my life, um, and I just. I feel that it's something that I really needed to put out there now that I am at the point in my journey where I feel I can be vulnerable um, in that aspect. So, guys, um, I hope that you enjoy it. And here it goes. Welcome to Race Wife Unfiltered, hosted by your favorite bougie race wife, Rachel Thornhill. Every week, she shares stories of her life as a race wife and other women in motorsports, giving them a platform so their voices can be heard. Well, hello, guys. Welcome back to Race Wife Unfiltered. Um, as you know, I am your host, Rachel Thornhill. And so today, what I'm going to talk about is going to be triggering for some people. So I want to go ahead and forewarn you um, before you get into this episode. So trigger warnings, I will be talking about eating disorders. I will be talking about um, uh, abuse. I will be talking about a lot of things that could trigger people. Um, so if this is something that you just cannot stomach, okay, I totally understand and feel free to not listen to the episode. Um, I know that it will be very difficult for some people to be able to hear this type of stuff. So here goes nothing. So um, first, I do want to start out with something a little light. Um, as of December 31st um, of 2022, it has been a full year since I have been alcohol free, <laughs> you know, and I'm actually very, very proud of myself. Now, was I a alcoholic? No. Um, but did I drink pretty often, like socially? Yes. Like every, pretty much every weekend I was drinking, you know, um, or the only times that I really didn't drink was when I was pregnant. <laughs> Um, other than that, I, you know, I pretty much would drink every weekend or I would, <laughs> there'd be some times that there were days where I would drink during the week. I mean, it wouldn't be a lot, but it was still something right. Um, and because due to stress or whatever, 
Uh, and I'll be honest with you, that is something that now looking back, I should have used other other things to cope with my issues, but I turned to alcohol. Um, and I had turned to alcohol for a long time. So um, let's just say, I mean, I'm 36 now. And the first time I ever took a drink was as a child. Um, I was about eight, I guess. Um, got caught doing that at my cousin's house. <laughs> Y'all, the fact that we drank this shit was so gross. Peppermint schnapps. Who? That's like one of the worst things ever. Uh, yeah. So that was the first time I ever had a taste of alcohol. And, I, um, to me, it tasted good at that time, but obviously I was a kid. I didn't know any better. But between that and taking sips of different things here and there as a kid when people weren't looking, things like that, once I became a teenager and I was able to kind of go off to other people's houses and do things like that, alcohol started getting into my system quite a bit. Um and it was kind of normalized in high school um, because the school I went to, I mean, we were out in the fucking country. People were always doing bonfires, things like that, you know, doing parties and stuff. And people drank beer and it didn't matter. Like the parents didn't care as long as you were doing it at their house. Right. Like it didn't matter how old you were. So um, that was just something that like I said, was normal. And because of that, it was just something that I got accustomed to doing after a while. Um, now beer was never really my thing. Um, I, I didn't like the taste of it at all. Um, I did try it, but it wasn't my thing. Um, vodka was my go-to. Uh, that was just, that was like really the only way you could get me a drink. But the issue with that was it's like, it sent me on this spiral, right? Because then I'm getting to college and I'm drinking even even heavier because I'm going out in the clubs and shit, you know? Because, I mean, I was even going in the clubs. Like, we had teen, a teen club um, when I was a teenager. <laughs> and um, I was in there. I was trying to go there pretty much every fucking weekend. And, and when I say a teen club, it was more like a fucking rave because there wasn't just like, even though it was supposed to be just for like teens, um, there was a lot of shit going on in there that shouldn't have been happening. But you know how, you know, how, you know how that happens at clubs and stuff. There's people popping X and popping armor kind of shit and stuff. And, and I'll be honest, I did it. I did some of that shit. Am I proud of it? Absolutely not. Um, I'm not proud of doing the shit that I did back then. But, you know, peer pressure is a bitch. And I was very bad about letting peer pressure get to me um, because I just didn't want to be that, you know, that person left out, especially as a kid. Um, I was always kind of, I you know, isolated all the time from people. Um, people kind of didn't want to really be friends with me. And so it's like when I finally would get a friend, it's like I was trying to hold on to that friend for dear life, even if that meant that I had to do stupid shit that I didn't want to do. Um, and now looking back on it, it's like, Rachel, why the fuck were you doing this shit? Right. But 
um, that was kind of how I handled life because, um, I don't talk, I don't really talk about, um, like my mental health and things like that, but I was always considered the weird kid. So the thing is back then, nobody really knew what was going on with me, but now that I'm older, um, I'm autistic. Okay. And so now looking back, like the signs were there, right? But nobody really knew what it was because, I mean, we're talking about over tw- more than 20 years ago and a lot of girls kind of get thrown under, you know, they kind of get thrown to the wayside when it comes to autism diagnosis because of the fact that um, if you if you act a certain way or you're really smart, People kind of just throw it off as like, oh, you're just quirky and you're just weird. But the thing is, because I was smart and I was able to mask enough to pass as a neurotypical person, I got thrown to the wayside and nobody cared. Nobody cared about my mental health. So the thing is, now as an adult, trying to like y'all trying to get diagnosed as an adult is like the hardest thing. Um, I don't, and I can't, I can't talk for everybody because some people have been able to get diagnosed. Now I am self-diagnosed. Self-diagnosis is valid in the community up to a certain extent. You know, now some people they'll just like, you know, be like, oh yeah, I'm autistic or, oh yeah, I'm this, but they haven't actually done the research. No, I've done the research. I've done the the research for many, many years. Um, I started researching about autism probably about six or seven years ago. Um, and honestly, the reason why I, I even researched it was because, um, and it was very unethical and I know that, but I used to get paid to to write essays for people, like college essays. I'm talking about grad students that should have been doing their own fucking work, but they weren't doing it. So when it came to thesis and dissertations and stuff, I was writing them for people. Now, was I getting paid really good money to do it? Absolutely. But should I have been doing it? Absolutely. No. Absolutely not. Because guess what? I was doing the work for them. I was doing all the research. I was doing everything. They were just getting by through school off of other people's work. I was literally ghostwriting their papers and their professors had no idea. Um, And the thing is, because I had done so much medical research, like in with medical journals and all of that, I was able to do the research on my own. Um, I actually had to write a paper on autism for, um, for a grad student. And looking into all of that information made me realize, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have like a lot of these same symptoms. Why don't I like try and get tested? Well, unfortunately, where I live, um, it's very hard to find anybody that's willing to even test an adult that has that possibly has autism here for some reason they only want to deal with children and you know small children and like adolescents they don't want to deal with adults and me being 36 years old obviously that means i'm too old 
And they're like, you know, they don't even want to give me the resources to even get an assessment. Well, here's the thing. And that is something that I don't understand about the psychology, you know, industry or whatever is autistic children become autistic adults. If you will only provide resources for children, once they become adults, those resources are gone because you refuse to deal with the adult, the autistic adults. So you're not helping anybody, right? Because the thing is, autism doesn't go away. Autism stays with people forever. And it's not something that you can just be like, oh, I don't have autism now. No, it doesn't work that way. Autism is not this like disease or something like that that you can cure. It's something that sticks with you forever because it is a disorder, not a disease. And it's something that I guess I'm really passionate about because of the fact that like I'm having to do all this shit on my own. Like once I found out like what it was, because I actually talked to a friend that is a therapist. Now, of course, she couldn't officially diagnose me. Right. Because number one, um, she doesn't practice in the state that that I live in. And two, um, I. I knew that an assessment obviously is extremely expensive to do and. Um, financially speaking, I wouldn't have had the, I wouldn't have had the funds to do it. Um, and so I asked her because I had been doing the research. I asked her if she'd be willing to take a look at the research that I did. And if she thinks that I'm on the right path, because if she thinks that I am so far off base, then I'm just going to stop. Right. Because I was like, well, you know, then maybe, maybe, I'm not on the right path and maybe you can kind of, you know, point me in the right direction. And she told me, she's like, I can't diagnose you, but I can tell you that you're on the right path. You're looking in the right area. That's all she could tell me. And that's all the validation I needed in my mind. So the thing is, looking back, the way that I acted out, like as a kid, as an adolescent, Um, all the things that I did, like, oh my gosh, everything just dawns on me now. It's like, oh my gosh, why did nobody pay attention to what was going on with me? Like I needed resources. I needed therapy. I needed all of that. And I didn't get it as a kid. Um, and I'm not blaming, uh, like, I'm not blaming anybody, I fell through the system. Okay. I fell through the cracks because number one, I was in, I I was very, very smart. I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't, um, like when I say very, very smart, I was like, I have like men's a level type genius. Okay. Like, I mean, it's not, extremely, extremely high where like, it's like off the fucking charts, but it's enough to get into Mensa. Um, so I was always like that extreme perfectionist when it came to academia. Um, I was, I mean, I'm 
the person that was in like the math decathlons and debate team stuff. And I like I won like like I went to regionals for a spelling bee. Like, you know what I'm saying? I was one of those kids. I was the typical math nerd or whatever you want to call me, because like I was a typical nerd in school. Like I took extra classes that I didn't fucking need. Like I was just this major overachiever um, and perfectionist. And to be honest, guys, it was the worst because I self-sabotaged and I ended up burning myself out. That is also why I like I literally flunked out of college multiple times because I burned myself out on academia um, because of the fact that I couldn't, I couldn't get it together. Um, I just, I lost it because I, I needed to do a lot of healing. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So the reason why I say I need to do a lot of healing was because I was a very broken person and I used academia as an ex- escape. Okay. So. Oh, and I'll be honest with you, you guys, if I end up start starting to cry or whatever, or you start hearing my voice shake, it's because like, I mean, I've gone through ther- therapy with all this stuff, but let's just be real. I am bringing up some, some, some shit that's probably going to make me like lose it. All right. So as a child, I'm the oldest of three girls. Okay. I always felt like the black sheep of the family. And yeah, I'm sure my family will probably tell you that that's not true, but I knew I was always treated differently. Okay. Always. Um, and when I say this, I'm not always, I'm not talking about in a positive way. I'm talking about in a very negative way. Um, this wasn't just with my sisters. This was also with like, even like my cousins and stuff like that. I was always isolated from everybody because of the fact that they said that I was weird and they didn't want to have anything to do with me. Um, so what I did was I mainly escaped by books, right? I love to read. Reading is one of my favorite things in the world to do. But as a kid, I read a lot of fiction books and that was my way to being able to use my imagination. I would read and read all the time. Like when I wasn't at school, I was reading. I I, my nose was in a damn book because I loved learning. Learning was just some, honestly, that's like one of my favorite things to do is learn. I am an avid learner. That's why academia was like my escape because I love to learn. So it's just something I always like to do. Well, because of that, um, it may be weird because I didn't really want to associate with people. So I was very antisocial and I didn't really have social skills because of the fact that I couldn't get along with kids because of the fact that, and a lot of gifted children have this problem, right? Because of the fact that my parents wouldn't put me in magnet schools or anything like that, even though I was always recommended for them, right? Like, I mean, every single teacher that I had growing up kept recommending me to either skip grades or 
or recommended me to go to a magnet school or something like that, then my parents refused to do it. So because of that, I had to stay in public school and be bored as fuck out of my mind. Okay. Um, and I hated it. So then eventually like I started to not care anymore. Um, but some classes, cause I was just like, I was just so tired of doing things, um, that I started to fuck up. Well, when I would fuck up, in, in school, I would get punished, right? Because obviously, oh, well, you're, you're, you're making bad grades. Uh, we can't have that. So you need to straighten this shit up. Well, then I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to get punished. So obviously that means I'm going to have to like make sure my grades are good all the time, even though my mental, my mental health is fucking struggling because I don't want to be here. Um, and so that's when I, started getting really good at that get getting good at school right and i mean i was making straight a's all the fucking time i mean i was straight a student until about fifth grade and then i've kind of fell off but then i made a's and b's pretty much up until high school and then in high school it's kind of when i fell off it was only in certain classes where i didn't do very well because i was like doing extremely fucking hard classes that i really didn't need to take like I was taking trig and calculus when I didn't even need to take it. You know, I was taking like, um, anatomy and physiology when I didn't have to take it. I was taking college courses as a senior and I didn't need to take it. Um, I was doing, I was just going above and beyond because I was like, well, it's going to look good on a college application because I had applied for Harvard. So I was like, I got to make myself look good. So I applied for Harvard in eighth grade because it's a four year. It was at that time. Now, I don't know if it is now, but at the time it was a four year waiting list. So I had to apply in eighth grade to be able to, you know, be accepted for my junior senior year. Well, I applied for the pre-law program, um, because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a lawyer. Um, and so I applied, I got accepted, <laughs> but my parents told me I couldn't go. So I was like, oh, you know, uh, y'all, I was so fucking devastated. Like I literally, like when I say devastated, like my whole entire life fell apart. I did. I, I don't know if I truly made it known to my parents. I'm pretty sure I did because I mean, I've lost it. And when I say like, as a, I went through a really hard time during my teenage years. So from the time of, I guess I was probably 12 or 13. That was when the start of my eating disorder started. So when I say eating disorder, it was a mixture of anorexia and bulimia because it just kind of depended on my mood. So sometimes I'm like, I would starve myself when I was like really upset or like I just or like just didn't want to fucking eat. Or sometimes I would binge because I have to do it in front of people. But then I would, you know, go purge. I mean, and to be honest, I've. I did that for over 20 years, 
Like, when I'm serious, like, I did that for over 20 years. Um, I'm, I stopped about, uh, it'd be like six years now. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of damage to my body, to my health, to everything. Like, it does a fucking number on you. But I was doing that and I was, you know, upset about my life not going the way that I wanted it because my, like, my whole life was about leaving Louisiana. I did not want to be here. I did not want to live in Louisiana. I wanted to get away as far away from everybody that I knew as possible and just start my life completely over where nobody knew who I was because I was so frustrated with my family. I like, I'll be honest back then I hated my family. Like, I'm not even joking. Like I'm going to be 100% real. I hated my family. I hated living there. I hated myself. I literally, um, I'd say, I think it was when I was 16, I started self-harming. I actually tried to unalive myself multiple times because I was so done. I did not want to be here. Um, and the only thing that kept me from fucking just going completely through it was college because I was like, I know if I can leave the state and I can get out of here, that'll make things better. In my mind, I thought that was going to make things better for me. So that's why I applied to Harvard. And then after that, I applied to, but then they were like, no, you can't go to Harvard. You can't do that. You can't leave. Right. And so I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do now? Because I had applied to nothing but out, you know, out of state colleges because I was like, I was guaranteed that I was just going to, I was going to get a scholarship. Right. I mean, and with Harvard, I did like, I had a scholarship and stuff like my parents weren't going to have to pay anything for me to go to Harvard, but it didn't matter. Um, so, cause I had the grades to back it up, but then my, my grades started slipping and stuff after I was told all of that, you know, I was just like, fuck it. Like, I don't care anymore. Um, because I'm not, obviously I'm not leaving the state. So I just started doing school, like just kind of going through the motions and shit. Um, also, and I didn't, um, and then at 15, I, I was raped. And so like my mental health was shit. Now I'll put it to you this way. I'm not going to go into full blown detail. Um, it wasn't, it, um, but I was not believed. The police officer was a woman. She didn't believe me. She asked me some weird off the wall questions that I didn't have answers for. Like one of the questions was what time was it when he fucking raped me? Like how, like, was I really going to be paying attention to a fucking alarm clock or anything like that? There wasn't even a clock around me at first whenever things went down. And I wasn't really paying attention to that. Like, that's not something I'm going to be looking for. Um, and then on top of that, there was actually a clock when it happened that was next to me when it, when it happened and I'll be honest with you, that time 
will haunt me for the rest of my damn life. Because I can even tell, like to this day, I can tell you the time that was on that, that was on that clock. 10, 27 PM. I will remember that for the rest of my life because that was the, that, because I didn't want to look him in the face when it happened. I didn't, I did not want to look him in the face. So, because I just wanted it to be over. So between that, my parents didn't believe me because obviously the cop told me, told me that told them that I lied, even though I didn't. I'll be honest. And now looking back, a lot of that had to do with me being autistic. Being in that interrogation room was so overwhelming. I mean, y'all, and for other autistic people that have sensory issues, you you'll understand. The lighting in there was constantly flickering because the light, one of the light bulbs was starting to go out that it was the electricity was making so much noise. It was driving me nuts. I kept putting my hands over my ears and telling them that my head was hurting because I could not hear. Um, like Like I couldn't hear them correctly because all I could hear was the noise of the electricity and the bulb making this weird noise because it was literally about to fucking pop and it drove me nuts. And then the way that she would ask me questions, it didn't make sense to me. And then I asked and I tell her that I tell her, I don't understand like how you're asking me this question. And she would get rude with me and she would, make it seem as if like I was lying to her. And I'm like, I'm not lying. I just don't understand the question. And so I'll be honest, like that experience was one of the worst days of my life. Also, it didn't help that I was at school and they literally showed up at school while I was in the middle of class to pull me out of class And I was literally put in, y'all, I was put in handcuffs, in handcuffs in front of people that I went to school with. And I was taken outside by her and three other police officers. And it looked like I had done something wrong. Like, so they humiliated me because literally, like, I was walking out of the school in front of a bunch of people being put into a cop car. I mean, how how embarrassing is that, right? Um, and so I had to go through that and I didn't fully recover from that. And then another thing is, and I didn't tell anybody, was I ended up pregnant from that rape. I did. And I was 15, pregnant. Okay. Oh, and then... To find out, I was pregnant with twins and never told anybody because obviously nobody believed me. So I had to go on living with that guilt. And I ended up miscarrying, of course, because obviously my body was going through hell. Um, I miscarried at school. 
in the girls' bathroom. And that was one of the worst days ever. At 15, I shouldn't have had to go through that at all. Um, And y'all, see, I told y'all I was going to end up crying because, like, this is rough. This is rough for me. But you know what? This is healing for me because I haven't talked about it. I haven't talked about this at all um, to anyone. Um, So literally, what y'all are hearing right now is stuff that I have kept inside of me for over 21 years. I have not said anything to anyone about. Um, So... After that, you're, I mean, you're talking about I've gone through all this. I've tried to unalive myself. I've tried to do all these things, right? And I'm still trying to make it through school, right? But I have nobody to talk to about this shit because obviously I've been made out to be a liar. And the thing is, the guy that, that it happened with, I mean... Uh, some of the people, so word got around fast, right? About this, that I lied and all this other stuff, right? Even though I didn't lie, it got around and it got to my school, even though the guy didn't go to the school that I went to. Well, because of that, you know, people were like, oh, you were just trying to ruin his life, blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. No, I wouldn't have even said anything. At first, like at first I was so afraid to even say anything, but then I was like, no, I can't hide this because the thing is, you know, that's not right. Like he shouldn't be able to get away with this. But the thing is, then I almost regretted coming out with it because nobody believed me anyway, because no rape kit could be done because I took a shower. I was devastated and I was crying and I was losing it and I didn't know what to do. And so I did. I took a shower because because I felt dirty. I didn't I didn't think about it because I didn't think about a rape kit at the time. You know, I wasn't thinking. I mean, I was I mean, I'll be real. I was traumatized. I, I didn't I wasn't thinking. I just wanted to get it off of me. Um, and so, yeah, so unfortunately I kind of ruined that. They weren't able to get anything, um, from that. And so it was kind of like, uh, they just kind of left it alone, I guess. And pretty much just said I lied and then ended it. Um, but so Going through that, having people treat me differently at school because they think that I lied. And then I like I wanted to leave. I wanted to be homeschooled, but my my family wouldn't let me be homeschooled, even though that's what I wanted to do, because I didn't want to show my face at school anymore. So I so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to take my life into my own hands. So I was like, all right. So that's why I tried to unalive myself. It didn't work. You know, I couldn't go through with it. And like, I wanted to so badly, but then at the same time, I couldn't. Like, there was just something in me that could not let me do it. So I was like, okay, well, then I'm just going to have to just, like, suck it up and then, like, go to school outside of, you know, 
go to college out of state. But unfortunately, that wasn't possible um, because my parents kept trying to control that. And then so I was like, well, I guess I can't go. So I'm going to have to just go to college out here. But it made it really difficult for me because I still had to live with that shit, you know, people still treating me differently because they thought that I lied. And then got like, I had so much, um, I guess you could say I had a lot of trauma when it came to men, um, or guys period, because it's like, it was hard for me to move on into another relationship because of it. Like to, you know, to be even have a relationship with a guy after all that happened. And so I was like, well, and so I didn't have a relationship until I guess about two years later, I finally had a relationship with someone, um, that I went to school with. And, um, it was, it was difficult for me at first because obviously I had, you know, I didn't really <laughs> trust guys anymore because of that. Um, and I mean, we didn't work out eventually, but, um, he didn't. I have to say he didn't treat me differently. Like he understood that I needed time that I wasn't, you know, how I felt about everything. And he was actually patient with me. And I do appreciate that. Um, but I mean, we, you know, it was, just, it wasn't meant to be and that, and that's fine. Cause obviously, you know, we both have our own lives now. Um, and I'm, much happier now than what I was then. I was a totally different person back then. I was extremely broken. Um, and honestly, I shouldn't have even been with anybody. I should have been worrying more about myself um, and healing from all of the traumatic shit that I went through. I did get sent to a therapist just one time after that whole thing happened um, because it was pretty much ordered it was something that they said that they told my parents i needed to go do and i went one time and never went back and that was because that therapist didn't first of all already had this notion that i had lied right because that's what was told well that's the issue you know because of that they already had a preconceived notion about me before i even walked into that room so it didn't matter what I told them. They probably thought I was lying anyway. Um, now, of course, I know now that with body language and things like that, that a lot of times you can tell if someone's lying or not. But the thing is, though, like part of me wonders if because and and, you know, I'm still learning about about being autistic and stuff. I'm wondering if neurotypical people assume that we're lying because we fidget, because we stem, um, especially like in like when we're really nervous or in like really uncomfortable situations. I feel like they consider that like as if we're lying. But that's the issue. Like I 
I wasn't lying. I was stimming because I was nervous and I didn't know I didn't know how to handle the situation. Because when I'm sitting there being interrogated by somebody, I can't just sit still. Like it like I have to sometimes I'm moving my hands or I'm looking around or I'm doing something because I can't just sit still. But at the same time, I don't know how to make the proper eye contact sometimes. So I think that maybe I looked off to her. I don't know. But I mean, guys, this was like, huh, I don't know. It, it just, I guess I just totally fucked up on that one. Um, to the guy that did it to me. And that's it. Like, you know, to get my feelings out on paper. But that's all like that. To be honest, sure, it helped for a second, but it didn't it did not help with all the other stuff that I needed to unpack from it. So, yeah, I mean, all the stuff that I had to unpack was a lot. I mean, I had. Obviously. No justice was served, right? Um, And then on top of that. Nobody believed me. Everybody just thought I lied. So that automatically kind of ruined me for a while, too, because that meant that anything that came out of my mouth, I assumed that they were automatically going to think that I'm lying about everything because it's like, oh, well, you would lie about something this big. Then obviously you're going to lie about little things. Right. But that wasn't the case. Um, So that. That actually starting that day, I really started to make myself even smaller as a person, not speaking up, not saying anything, just going through the motions because I'm like, you know what? I just have to go through the motions till graduation, right? Go through the motions, act like just act like I don't exist. Like literally, I'm like, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm just going to act like I don't exist. Well, you know, that didn't happen um, because I ended up making the decision. And my senior year of high school to join the newspaper. Right. And that's when my love for. Writing really really flourished. Um, I wanted to become a journalist, honestly, like I, I changed my mind. I was like, you know, I really want to do this. This is something that I really like to do. Um, because it really opened, like it opened my mind up to like so many different opportunities, you know, opportunities that I could take because Like I was the sports editor for our school newspaper. And then also I would write music reviews and things like that. And so um, I love music, obviously. Music is pretty much my like one of my biggest interests. Um, I listen to so many different types of music. Um, And I know a lot of people say that. But no, when I say I listen to a lot of different types of music, I listen to not just music in English, right? I listen, not just music in Spanish either, because I mean, obviously most people are like, well, you know, if you don't listen to English, then you probably listen to like Spanish music, right? Reggaeton and things like that. And yes, trust me, I do. I listen to Spanish music. I love it. Um, But 
I also listen to, you know, K-pop and J-pop, you know, Japanese music. I listen to Thai pop. I listen to Chinese music. I listen to French music. I listen to so many different genres. It's unreal. Um, that music, music's just always been like a major part of my life. Um, and that is one thing that I have to say that I do appreciate that my dad gave us that the access to music like that as a kid, as kids, because my dad um, was always involved in music. He had his own record company. Uh, he managed a few artists over the years. Um, he had an extensive media library, thousands and thousands of CDs and vinyl and and stuff because my my dad was a DJ um for a very and still is um he's DJ for gosh I mean who knows how long it's been over 30 years I know minimum I mean it's probably been longer than that um but because of that we were exposed to so many different genres of music and because of that like music was always my one of my outlets um, when obviously when I'm sad, when I'm angry, whatever, anything I'm going through with music is a comfort thing for me. Music is always a comfort thing for me. I have music playing all the time in my house for every, for everything. Like I just have music constantly playing in my house, whether it's lo-fi music or, or if it's, um, you know, music with words. And I love, cla- I love classical music, um, as well. So, I mean, it just depends on my mood, but I always have music going on. Um, And that was one thing that got me through. Music was one of the things that got me through. Um, Honestly, music is literally one of the things that kept me alive. Um, I would go to a lot of concerts as a kid. Um, Like I've seen Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and 98 Degrees and No Authority and oh gosh, I mean, I've seen Tatiana Lee in concert. I saw, I mean, so many different people. Um, And then like, even like locally, I saw like Tyler Reed in concert. Honestly, I still have, I still have photos from that concert. Um, I went, that was when I was a freshman at UL. Um, I, I went to that concert. Um, I was actually a part of Chi Alpha, which was a, um, Christian fraternity, um, at that time. And I, yeah, I went to, I went to it. I had brought my sister with me and I mean, it was a lot of fun, but music was always something that really kept me going, uh, as, but yeah, like between that, my eating disorder, everything that was going on, man, like I was going through it and I had to hide all this shit, like up into my adult years. And because of that, like y'all, like I've struggled so much with self-love. Like I did not love myself at all. I literally just started loving myself about five years ago. Like, I was just living my life for other people. I mean, then eventually, you know, I did when I went to college, finally ended up pregnant with my first daughter, which 
her dad and I, I'll be real, that relationship would have never lasted even at all. We didn't want the same things in life. We were both very broken people. We weren't good for each other. And we were, we were both, because I will take the blame for it too. We were both abusive to each other. And I'm not, I'm not always talking about physical. There was physical. I'll be, well, I'll be real. Like, is it both? Was it both of us? Yeah. But most of it was mental. We were mentally abusive to each other. And honestly, we didn't deserve to be with each other. And we created a child in the middle of all that chaos. And I'll be real with you. I will probably get backlash for this because of what I just said. But to be honest, if if he gets mad at me about it, that I, I, I don't care. Because the thing is, we've got to be real. There's a reason why we're not together. There's a reason why... I ended up being a single parent because he didn't want to be a parent at the time. Okay. There's a reason for all of that. There's a reason why I went 17 years of raising a child, you know, on, and I won't say on my own because not all of that time was on my own. But when I say on my own, I'm talking about, where I took the full responsibility of our child. You see what I'm saying? Because I had her in my custody for all that time, for 17 years. Um, he, he didn't have any custody of her, like, at all. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, he was able to choose to come and go out of her life because he wanted to. Because I let that happen. But the thing is, you know, I wanted to keep my child. I didn't want to have an abortion. I didn't want to do anything like that. And so I took on the responsibility of being a single parent. I knew it was going to be rough. Shit, I knew it was fucking hard as shit. Trust me, I put myself in debt doing it. Um, But luckily, I met the love of my life when my daughter was six months old. Um who I am with now, <laughs> you know, and I don't regret, I don't regret the things that I went through. I don't, I don't regret it because of the fact that if I wouldn't have gone through the things that I went through, I wouldn't be here today. The things that I went through in the past, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I know they say going through hard shit makes you stronger, but I'll be real, it doesn't always make you stronger. A lot of times it makes you very vulnerable and it makes you easily manipulated and it makes it easier for people to, you know, to manipulate you, like I said. And also it makes it harder for you to trust people. It makes it harder for you to love people for who they are. It, it makes it hard to open your heart up, period, because you are so afraid of being hurt again that you don't know how to deal. But then you also have a weird expectation when it comes to love, 
right? Because if you've been hurt so much, you don't know what real love is. Even if it hits you in the fucking face. And I'll be honest, at first when I got with my husband, I didn't truly understand that if he was mad at me about something, that that didn't mean he hated me. Like, y'all, I would literally lose my shit on this man sometimes because I thought that he was going to leave me because I had abandonment issues, right? Like, serious fucking abandonment issues. Like, if we got into one little argument, I thought the man was going to leave me or I thought, you know, it was the end of the world because... I was in so many broken relationships and I had been so mentally and physically abused. I didn't know the difference. I didn't know that it is okay for your relationship to not be 100% perfect all the time. That if you do argue that it's okay, that doesn't mean that my whole life is going to come crashing down. You know, also, that didn't mean that I had to automatically people please, right? Because I had been people pleasing my whole damn life, you know? But with my husband, I had to unlearn so many things that I was doing because I had people pleased and I had masked for so long that I didn't know that it's okay to disagree with somebody. It's okay to not have the same view as somebody, but they'd still love you anyway. You know, I mean, and to a lot of people, you know, they would, you would think that, duh, Rachel, that's like, that's like very simple. Not everybody's going to agree 100% of the time. But see, that's the thing. I would people please so much that I would agree with the person 100% of the time because I never wanted to deal with the conflict because of the fact that I had been in situations where, if I didn't agree with them, then I was getting screamed at or I was possibly getting hit or I was or something. Right. So I didn't want to put myself in any type of situation where I would disagree with somebody, you know, but I had to unlearn all of that stuff, all of that. And it took a very long time to unlearn a lot of this. And then also you have to understand too, me trying to raise children with that mentality, like, oh my God, that's part of the reason why I say that I know that I, in a way I raised my oldest daughter differently from my youngest is because I had to do a lot. I did a lot of healing between the time that I gave birth to my oldest daughter and the time I gave birth to my youngest. Because I gave birth to my oldest daughter right a couple months after I turned 19. I met my I met my husband when she was six months old. And then after that, I had my youngest daughter. Um three years later, because they're three years apart. But within that three years, I still had to do a lot of healing, even though my healing was nowhere near being done, right? Because I also masked a lot of my unhealthy shit with drinking, with other things, 
you know, and I look back and it, I hate that because my kids shouldn't, I feel my kids shouldn't have grown up with their mom using alcohol as a crutch, right? I used it as a crutch. I didn't use it, you know, like how some people do, like they use it just to have fun, you know, whatever. But no, I used it as a crutch and I didn't really talk about it. And, um, I know that now I'm in a much better place. I've, I've grown so much just in the past. I'd even say the past two years because I started going to therapy <laughs> like a lot. And I mean, oh, like all this shit just came up, like all the things that I'm talking about now, like a lot of things I have repressed a lot of things. But you know what? Like it makes me a better person because I recognize that those patterns and the things that happen are the old me. That's not how I would handle things now. But also that I look back and sure, some of the people in my life failed me as a kid and as an adolescent. But you know what? I don't care about that anymore because the thing is, I'm, a, I'm an adult now and the only person that can fail me is me now. I have to be the one to take the responsibility on if I'm going to let all of that bullshit in the past affect me now. And trust me, it, it affects me bringing it back up. But even though it, it hurts to bring it up, knowing that I don't use any of that past stuff as an excuse to keep me from what, from what I'm wanting to do now, you know, like affect me in any way. That's how I know I've grown as a person because the old me would have let all of that shit sabotage me to the point where I wouldn't do anything and I would let it ruin my life because I was, I was letting all of that stuff haunt me, right? Letting all the bad shit, all the old shit haunt me. To the point where it would cripple me from making any decisions on my own. Like, I literally would ask my husband for everything. And he's like, aren't you an adult? Why are you asking me for stuff? It's because I always felt I had to have permission to do everything. Because back then I did. I had to always have permission to do shit. And I was even an adult. And I always had to ask permission. And that's some bullshit, right? Because as an adult, I shouldn't have to ask anybody for permission except myself. Like, ask me, hey, do you want to do this? Yeah, okay, then go fucking do it. But see, I was always asking permission from people. And you know what? I shouldn't have been doing that. I should have been living my life on my own terms, but I wasn't. I was living my life on other people's terms. And that is not the way to live. You don't live your life on other people's terms in the way that they want your life to turn out because their life didn't turn out that way. So they are trying to live through you and they think they know better. But the thing is, no one knows your life better than you. Right. No one. No one knows your life better than you because you are the main character and you are the one living it. Everybody else. 
are side characters, right? Or or they might be NPCs, right? Um, they're either NPCs or they are secondary characters. But either way, you are the main character of your own story. You write your own story. You're the writer, you're the producer, you're all that, okay? All of it. This is your show and you live in it, right? You are creating your own show right now. I am creating my own show right now. I'm the main character. My husband is a secondary character. My kids are a secondary character and everybody else are NPCs, right? Everybody else are NPCs. They're not, they are not the main focus of the story. But the fact that I let NPCs come in and literally make me change my mindset on how I was going to run my life is, is ridiculous. That's the reason why I, was, I felt so small is because of the fact that I wasn't being true to what I truly wanted to do. I wasn't following my heart. I wasn't following my intuition. That gut feeling that I was getting every time somebody would tell me something that I knew wasn't right for my life, I ignored it because I knew that if I told them that I wasn't doing it, hell was going to break loose, right? Oh, no, we know better than you. Really, you don't because I know my life and I know what I want for my life. You don't. You want what you think is best for my life, but what you think is best might not be best for me. But I'm letting you run it because I'm being told I don't know any better because I'm a kid or I'm an adolescent or I'm a young adult and I don't have life experience. But to be honest, I think I had plenty of fucking life experience, a lot more life experience than what I truly wanted because of all the shit that I had to go through as a teenager, you know? I actually had way more life experience than what I should have had. I'll be real, I think the biggest thing about my childhood, and I think that's why I it took me so long to be able to finally love myself is because I did not get to be a child. I did not truly get the opportunity to be a child. I had to grow up so fast because of the experiences that I went through. And I shouldn't have had to do that as a child. I should have been able to just play and do things and not have to worry about grades and not have to worry about shit that shouldn't have even been important. But, you know... I had to constantly escape reality by books or hiding out or whatever. And I shouldn't have had to do that. And I think that's why for me, I, I never felt like a child because I was always in grown folks business. Right. Um, and I know a lot of, a lot of, People will tell you that, like, you know, these, you know, these babies don't need to be in grown folks business. Well, I was all up in it because the thing is, the adults were the only ones that let me be around them. 
I wasn't able to be around the kids because none of the kids wanted to have anything to do with me. But the adults, most of them would let me just sit there and listen to them talk and be okay. And I was okay with that, you know? And I understood because I had a really big vocabulary because I was always learning. I mean, I was always reading the encyclopedia and the dictionary and all that kind of shit. So I had a very big vocabulary. So I was able to understand a lot about what the adults were talking about. Um, And like one of my favorite things to do as a kid and may they rest in peace and I miss them so much, but my, my grandparents um, now, my grandfather passed away in 89, right? So I was like three when he passed away. But let me tell you something. I remember, I remember a lot. To say that I was only three when he passed away, I remember a lot of things. I remember a lot of my childhood now. Now, see, I didn't remember a lot of it before. Uh, But after therapy, a lot of memories with my grandparents came up because my grandparents were my favorite people. They were. They were my favorite people. I loved them to death. They were my favorite people in the world. Um, My grandfather passed away in 1989. But I remember a lot of things um, about my grandfather. And I remember a lot of the conversations that he used to have um, whenever we would go to my grandparents' house. And I would always sit. And I would always sit and listen to him and my grandmother talk. And so when when we would go to my grandparents, so my grandparents spoke Creole French. Now, let me explain. There are more than one type of Creole Creole French. Creole French that's native to Louisiana is totally different from the Creole French that is Haitian, right? So they did not speak the Haitian Creole French. It's the Creole French that, uh, or... The other, the other name for it would be Kurivini. Um, that was um, the language that they spoke. So I would sit and listen to them for hours. I, I, like, I would just sit and listen to my grandparents speak in French because that was one thing that they did was they would speak in French when the kids were around because of the fact that sometimes, you know, they would talk about adult things that the kids didn't need to know about. And the thing is, I mean, I didn't understand. I didn't. I didn't understand it, but I liked hearing it because I knew it was a different language. I knew it wasn't English, but I liked hearing it. I just liked sitting there listening to them talk all the time as a kid. Um, and... That was like one of my fondest memories was just sitting there listening to them talk all the time. Um, And it was the same thing, you know, after my grandfather passed away, it it was the same thing with my grandmother. Like I liked just going to my grandmother's house and hearing her talk. Um, And I do. I wish I would have learned the language. I wish I would have taken the time to learn. But um, unfortunately, that was just not something that was passed down. And, um, I do plan on learning it now as an adult, um, because it's a part of my heritage and it's something that I should know. Um, but unfortunately it's not something that most of us know how to speak. Um, and because of that, it's like, I feel like 
they were okay with me. They were okay that with the fact that I was different. They understood that I was different. They knew. Um, and they always tried to keep me included. They were willing to spend more time with me than anybody else in my family did. Because I'll be real, and I know that mm, it's going to trigger, y'all. Like, it's going to trigger some people in my family. I know. But I always felt that my family didn't like me. I always felt that a lot of people in my family didn't like me because I always felt neglected. I always felt isolated from everyone else because I didn't talk about the things that they talk about or I liked stuff that they didn't like or, you know, um, I always felt like an outsider. But my grandparents never made me feel like I was an outsider, ever. And I think that's why I was so attached to them is because they made me feel like a real person. They made me feel that like I could be myself, like my true self. I, I didn't have to mask. Like I started masking as a kid. Like I knew, like I knew that because I started changing my personality. I started, and when, and when I, the way that I did it was watching movies, watching actors and actresses and actresses that I liked or not even just actresses. Like, okay. So my, I even mentioned this in a previous episode, like my favorite actress was Julia Roberts. All right. Um, when I was a kid. So like I mimicked some of the things that she did or like, um, like my favorite news anchor was Connie Chung back then, you know? So like I would sometimes mimic things that she did or like I would kind of talk like they did or stuff like that. And that's why like people would say that I sounded weird, but that was because I, the way that I would talk, I would, I almost like slowed down my speech and stuff so people could understand me because I used to, I used to speak really fast, uh, like really, really fast. Um, to the point where a lot of times people didn't understand me. And sometimes even now I notice that I go back to that because when I'm speaking about things, um, that I know like a lot about, or, um, it's just me talking, like, especially with this podcast, like some people will probably think I talk too fast, but this is me. This is just how I am. I always speak fast when I don't have to like read something or, or anything like that. But I, I've always spoke fast. I've always, but that's me. Um, but I started to change my whole entire personality to cater to being a neurotypical person in a neurotypical society. I literally knew that me being the way that I was, wasn't accepted. And so I had to start changing myself for people to accept me. And I hated that. I hated every minute of it. And I think that's why I got so burnt out by the time I was, a, by the time I was a teenager, because I was so done with constantly having to change myself to cater to people. And so it's like, once I became an adult, it's like then, and got into the corporate world, I, I pretty much had to go right back to doing the same shit because in the corporate world, you, you can't 
act like a neurodivergent person, you know? I mean, now it's being a lot more accepted, but back then it wasn't. Because I started working in the corporate world at 18, 19. You know, I was working for a Fortune 500 company at 19 years old. I couldn't act like that. If I would have acted like that, I would have got fired so fucking fast. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I had to even mask even more in the corporate world. And then, I mean, I still mask now. And it drives me nuts. I hate that I mask. But if I didn't, y'all, I'll be real. Like, if I did not mask, like, at all, like, completely dropped all of it, I probably wouldn't even be able to work in the corporate world at all (laughs) because I would be considered too much, you know? Um, And when I say too much, like, y'all have to understand where I come from. So I've always kind of worked in industries where it's mainly, it's predominantly men, right? And it's already hard for a lot of women in these industries anyway, just to even get their voices heard. Well, when you're becoming management in some of these industries, because I'll be honest with you, that's one thing that I have to say is I have become management in pretty much every industry that I've been in. Um, I've always worked up to management. Like I've always gotten promoted and moved up to management. Did I want the management position some of the times? Absolutely not. There were times where I didn't even want it, but I just did it because guess what? It meant I was going to get paid more and it meant that I was going to be able to, you know, live a more comfortable life because that meant more money, right? But of course, not thinking about that, obviously that means more responsibility. And that means you also have people that you have to look over. Well, the problem with that is when you have someone that's a lot younger than you that's becoming your supervisor, a lot of times, you know, I was always younger than the people that I was supervising, right? Unfortunately, because of that, a lot of people have an issue with that, right? Because they're like, oh, you're you're much younger than me, so why the fuck do I have to listen to you? Well, that's the issue with the corporate world is a lot of people think that way or they think because you're a woman, you don't really know much, right? Um, Or you don't really bring much to the table. Well, that's the problem with the corporate world. I mean, I do see a lot of changes since I started in the corporate world. I mean, because, I mean, granted, like I said, I started at 19 and I'm 36 now. So do the math. You know, I've been in the corporate world for a while, but The thing is, there's still people in the corporate world that treat you like that. So, I mean, I'm now in tech, but before that, I was in media because I worked for a magazine and a newspaper. Uh, Before that, I, um, I worked in, um... I worked in a nonprofit. I worked in the construction industry um, as a manager, but it was like in an accounting department. But still, I mean, no matter what, there's always going to be people that are going to think lower of you because of your age, right? And so because of that, and also just being neurodivergent, 
I had to really like I had to try it's like I almost had to try twice as hard as everybody else um I felt because then that was the only way that I was gonna be taken serious with my job and I'll be honest it burns me out like I even today like and you know I love my job I do I like the job that I have but it burns me out dealing with people sometimes because you know like I feel that I have to constantly prove myself um, or like if I tell someone no or if I tell somebody that this is not like this is not feasible or whatever, like sometimes I get like I feel I get ridiculed. And, but the thing is, it's like, you know, I'm with me being a manager, I'm not going to put more work on my team than need be. Right. Um, especially if it's not part of my team's description, like I'm not, I'm not into adding more responsibility on people if it's not necessary because somebody else doesn't want to do their damn work. So they want to push it off onto my department. Right. I've dealt with that many times. And so that's kind of like where I, I get to it, but see being a manager you also have to learn how to be patient with other people, right? You have to be able to show empathy with people, all different kind of stuff. And I'll be honest, it's hard. Being a neurodivergent person is fucking hard because sometimes, like, you don't know how to handle the communication. Um, and you're just expected to understand and it's like, I, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I got to ask you a question and you might think it's a stupid fucking question, but it's not like, I don't know, like because of all this, like I've gone through corporate burnout, all that kind of stuff, you know, and now it's like I've kind of came to a place I'm kind of at a like a, pl- a plateau now in a way when it comes to my life, when it comes to my neurodivergency and how I handle my life because now I know that I have to live my life for me. Sure. I know my life does what I do affects can affect my husband. It can affect my children. Right. I get that. And so sometimes I have to be very careful about what I do because if it's going to like, take food away from them or if it's going to take a house, our house out from over our heads, you know, like I've got to balance the risk versus the reward. Right. But at the end of the day, I know that now I'm a better person and I truly love myself as a person because I no longer have those sabotaging habits. I, I mean, like, I was always killing my side projects. I was always killing all of that shit because of the fact that I kept telling myself I wasn't good enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Like other people, like, look, they're fucking killing it at this. I could never do that. I should have never been saying that shit to myself. What the fuck makes me think that I can't do that? You know, first of all, I don't know until I actually try. But the fact that I kept myself from even trying is the issue. And I'll, I'll be honest, like, if you guys don't take 
anything else from from this podcast. Okay, and I know it's a long one, guys. I know it's long. Okay, but if you don't take anything else from my podcast, take this one thing that I have to tell you. Life is what you make it. Life is not long. It really isn't. I mean, but time isn't linear either and, you know, and all that shit. But make the most of your life. Do not go out of this earth, right? Do not leave earth's side wondering what if I would have done this? What if I would have done this? What, you know, what would have happened? No, not what if. It, no, we're not doing what ifs anymore. We're, we're going to do it. We're going to just do it. And if you fail, you fail. If you don't, then guess what? You have no what if. Because you did it and it succeeded. That is how I'm living my life now. Yes, do I feel that I should have started this a long time ago and not at 36? Absolutely. And then when I say 36, like, y'all, I'm going to be 37 next month in February. (laughs) Like, I mean, yeah, like, and I started this podcast at the end of December. So, you know, this was a long time coming. But you know what? I'm going to make 2023 the the best fucking year I have ever had. And I know it's going to be the best year I've ever had. I've got so much shit coming and I'm telling you, like when I say coming, like I'm manifesting this shit, like, I mean, the abundance that is fucking coming is coming and it's all going to come this year because this year I'm not playing small anymore. And I don't want you to do that either. I don't want any of you playing small. You hear me? Like, I want to hear about your wins. I want to hear about this shit you're doing. I want to see what the fuck you're doing. Share that shit. Post that shit. You know, don't don't hold back for anybody. Because guess what? That external validation is not needed. The only validation you need is from you. You only need to be proud of you. Be proud of you. Be proud of the shit that you have done and the shit that you are doing or going to do. Be proud of you because guess what? You are your biggest cheerleader. No one else can be. You are your biggest cheerleader and you need to be proud of you. And that, and honestly, it has taken me almost 37 years to realize that. Don't let that be you. Don't let it take you 37 years to figure out that you need to be your biggest cheerleader and that's the only person that needs to support you is you. Hey guys, thanks for making it to the end. Uh, I do appreciate you staying here and listening to my story. Um, This is, like I mentioned, this is a story that I haven't talked about ever and um, I was being very vulnerable here and sharing Um, all of this with you guys, but I want to be an open book. And so this is me being open. So um, definitely let me know what you think about this episode. Uh, I didn't want to limit myself on time whenever I was telling my story. So I knew it was going to be long. But um, let me know what you think about it. Also, if there if you like this type of content, if you would want me to share more content like this um when I don't have guests um I don't mind 
um, honestly, if it, if it is something that you guys are interested in, um, I'm more than happy to share. So, um, besides that, on a lighter note, <laughs> um, you guys can follow us, uh, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Facebook and Instagram, it is Race Wife Unfiltered. But on Twitter, due to lack of characters, it is RWU underscore Rachel. Um, and of course, I will put all of those links in the description like I always do. Uh, and make sure that you follow, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, I mean, we are on Spotify, we are on Apple, we're on Google, we are on uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, everything that you can possibly think of. Also, you can listen to us on Podbean. Uh, the The website for Podbean is racewifeunfiltered.podbean.com. Also, we have a newsletter. Uh, the Race Wife Unfiltered VIP section newsletter. It comes out every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, you can subscribe on Beehive. It is racewifeunfiltered.beehive.com slash subscribe. And you will get direct access to that newsletter. Um, and also any exclusive content that I talk about that is not mentioned anywhere else. So... Once again, guys, I appreciate you being here um, and tune in every Thursday. Uh, next Thursday, we will have a guest, uh, a very special guest. Um, I loved interviewing her, um, and I know you guys will enjoy that podcast episode. So until then, take care. <laughs>